Good morning, gentlemen, on the final Friday of our Men's Fellowship Breakfast time together for the spring. I'm so grateful that we get one last opportunity to spend time together, at least virtually, as we've been experiencing this for almost three months now throughout this coronavirus pandemic. While I certainly miss you, and I know we miss each other, I'm glad that we can still connect virtually through time and the Word together as we conclude the Gospel of Mark, which has been a very interesting and very rewarding study. I know at least it has been for me, and I pray that it, that it has been for you as well, as we have gotten to know the life of our Savior even more and what he calls us to as his followers in the 21st century. Um, to start our time, I wanted to say a word of prayer, and then we will, uh, we will get into our conclusion of the Gospel of Mark. So let's pray. Father, um, we come to you now in very interesting, very challenging times for many reasons, whether those challenges come on the front of a pandemic, whether those challenges come through the recognition of the deep racial divide and injustice that is still present in our country as we look around, or whether those challenges come through what we uh, have experienced day to day in trying to be faithful in our walk with you. We know that the Christian life that you call us to live is difficult. And so, as we seek to come before you one final time, as we look at your word, may you allow us to uh, see more clearly and to hear more clearly what your truth says to us as your followers today. Please use any words I share to further your kingdom for your glory and our good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, as I think about where we are today versus where we started, we have been on a nine-month journey. I don't know if you realize this, but on September the 6th, almost exactly nine months ago, we started our journey through the Gospel of Mark together. And my family and I have grown accustomed to long road trips. I'm not sure if that's something that you and your family do regularly, or maybe you did when your children were younger, but for many years, almost a decade really, we lived in the state of Kansas, and we have our family here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. So almost every summer, we took an annual road trip halfway across the country. It wasn't fully, way, fully across the country, but it felt like that sometimes. And we would get through certain stops on our road trip and we'd be thankful that we made it to where we had gotten to, but we knew we had more ways, more miles to cover on the interstate, going from Interstate 70 into St. Louis and then Interstate 64, heading through the rest of the East Coast through West Virginia and eventually to Virginia. And we would always be thankful when we arrived at our destination, whether it was my in-law's house or, or my parents' house in Virginia. Uh, but I feel like we've kind of been on a long road trip together, and we've finally reached our destination. We have made it through the Gospel of Mark, which is wonderful. It's been a fabulous study. I know that I speak for myself, as well as the other teaching team. We have Dale, we've had Wes, we've had Claude, we've had Max. Uh, each one of us has considered it a deep privilege that we have had to be in the Word with you together, whether 
on site in person or during this pandemic online. So thank you for sticking with us. I know long journeys are not easy. Um, they take a lot of stamina. But for those of you who have made it with us through to the end, we are very, very grateful. This has not ended the way we expected, but yet here we are trying to be faithful and knowing that just as the Gospel of Mark has taught us to serve and suffer like our Savior, we have been seeking to be faithful in following in his footsteps. So as I think about concluding the Gospel of Mark in our 33rd installment of our series, uh, I just wanted to share a few thoughts with you. Of course, I would encourage you to look at the slides that are available um, in the email that you should have received this morning when you clicked on the link for this video. Those slides will give, again, some, um, some of the information that I'm sharing here with you today. But in those slides, you'll see that our good and solid understanding of the Gospel of Mark, of its message and its structure, is that Mark calls us to serve and suffer like our Savior. And as we've said, we look at how Jesus came to serve in the first 11 chapters, and then how Jesus came to suffer in chapters 12 through 16. And we just finished chapter 16 last week. Uh, the key verse that we have identified is Mark 10, 45. For even so, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And uh, it has been a privilege to think through the Gospel of Mark. And I think back to where we started our journey as we look at the gospel, as we think about really the background of this book. And just to remind you where we've been, we talked about how Mark is one of the three synoptic gospels. Synoptic meaning uh, with eyes. So similarities between the gospel of Mark as well as Matthew and Luke. Those are the three synoptic gospels. Mark is the shortest of those synoptic gospels. The author himself is Mark. We seem from the pages of Scripture to encounter him for the first time in the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 12. He appears to be a family member, maybe a cousin of the early evangelist Barnabas, as we find from the book of Colossians. And as early as the second century, as early as the second century, one of the early church leaders identified this book as being written by Mark himself, which is why it is entitled The Gospel of Mark. I, I shared, and I, I shared some pictures in the slides again with you today, that there are um, some great legends, as best we can tell, or some great traditions from church history that talk about Mark and how he, uh, when he died, it appears, according to the tradition, that his body was buried in the country of Egypt. And that if I have this right and the understanding that sometime his body was stolen from Egypt and his remains were brought to the city of Venice in Italy in, I think, the ninth century. And if you go to Venice today, many of you have been there. I have as well. You know, on uh, Saint, the Piazza of San Marco, there's a beautiful church of San Marco or St. Mark's, which is given that name because that is where the remains of Mark were supposedly brought and if you go into that beautiful church, beautiful uh, architecture, incredible detail, you see this beautiful altarpiece known as the golden, the, um, the golden curtain or the golden blanket, really, where Mark's remains are supposedly kept. I have no idea if he's actually buried there, but I do know that he was an historic figure and that he, I believe, wrote this gospel. Um, 
We, we remember, if we think back, we said that Mark's gospel was written early on, about 30 years after the life of Jesus. So he would have, have written his gospel around the time when Paul was, um, was doing some of his missionary work. And uh, scholars believe that Mark actually uh, stuck very closely to the apostle Peter and listened to Peter's teaching and preaching about Jesus and wrote a lot of that down. And then that served as the real nuggets and nucleus for his gospel, as well as some of that material served to help Luke and Matthew as they wrote their gospel. Um, it's possible, as we talked about, that Mark wrote from the, uh, Rome, Italy, and it would make sense if he did that because a lot of what he wrote about was intentionally meant to show Jesus serving and suffering so that those Christians in the Roman Empire who were beginning to experience persecution under the emperor Nero would be encouraged to continue to walk faithfully after Jesus Christ, even in the face of great persecution. We know that they, they were being made a public spectacle for private entertainment. In a sense, uh, Nero was lighting them on fire uh, in his gardens for his garden parties. They were being publicly humiliated and killed in the arena uh, in the Colosseum by live wild animals. So this was a time, a message of encouragement that Jesus' followers needed to hear and that we need to hear as well. While we are not experiencing uh, the same kind of persecution, we are experiencing the challenges of a pandemic. We are recognizing the pains of racial injustice and racism in our country that has flared up over these recent weeks as well. And so in all of these um, challenging experiences that we see, and in some cases, for some, are actually experiencing, we know that we need to look to Jesus Christ as a model of suffering and to know how we suffer well, just as Christ suffered. We talked about the gospel being a gospel of action, the word immediately being used at least 42 times to move the reader through the story quickly. It reads like uh, a fast newscast or a breaking news that's happening in the moment as Mark records the quick words and works of Jesus Christ. But yet amazingly, as quickly as we move through the first few chapters of, or the first several chapters of the book covering three years of Jesus' ministry, when we get to the suffering of Jesus, Mark slows way down to really focus and show us how our Savior suffered so that we might be able to endure in our faith when we suffer as well. Really, the purpose of Mark, as we said back then, is to present Jesus as the ultimate suffering servant, leading to resilience, and to proclaim the kingdom of God, leading to repentance, so that uh, we would see Jesus' example, and we would proclaim Jesus' example to see his kingdom furthered. And really, the humility of Jesus Christ is one of the defining characteristics of this gospel, as has hopefully been clear as we've shared throughout our lessons each and every week. Um, and it's a call to humility for those who follow Jesus as well. That is one of the major themes that I'll touch upon in just a moment is the humility of Jesus. Um, so just to kind of give us some final thoughts on this gospel, I wanted to present a, a roadmap or a map of Jesus' identity throughout the gospel of Mark. If you know me, I always enjoy a good map. And while I do not have a map per se in the slides today, my apologies, you can put that in the survey if you're upset by that. Um, I do have a map, a roadmap of sorts that we can follow where we look at how Jesus is clearly identified throughout the gospel of Mark. 
And you'll see these verse references in the slides. But we're going to look first at Mark 1.1, at the very beginning, the very first words. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right there, Mark is very clearly communicating what his intention is. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And who is it about? It's about Jesus Christ, that word Messiah, which is the anointed king of David and the great hope of Israel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So two of the most important titles that we can understand about Jesus is that he was the Christ and he was the Son of God. Now, to continue to show and prove Jesus' identity, the next stop on our map, the next mile marker, if you will, is later in chapter 1, where we read about Jesus upon his baptism. And we read in chapter 1, verse 11, as Jesus is coming out of the water, verse 11 reads, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That is God the Father attesting to and showing the authority and the approval of his Son in a great moment that shows the intimacy between the Father and the Son. And you guys should know that what we learn on this stop of the roadmap is that we too are the beloved children of the King, the beloved children of God himself when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We are beloved by him too. But how precious to read the, to hear and read the Father's words, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Well, to go further, we skip several chapters ahead to one of the next stops on our roadmap journey of Jesus' identity through the Gospel of Mark, to chapter 8. We have Jesus as he is at a, a place called Caesarea Philippi, and he is talking to his disciples and he asks them the question of, who do people say that I am? And they give him a variety of answers at the end of chapter, uh, towards the end of chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark. It said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say one of the prophets. But then he asks them in verse 29, Mark 8, verse 29. And he asks them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. So there we have that first title that's listed in chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We have Peter identifying Jesus as the Christ. And so that's important for us to think about on that stop on our roadmap. Uh, can you say that? Can you say the same thing? If Jesus says to you, who do you say that I am? Would you be able to say as Peter can, you are the Christ. You are the indeed the Messiah the Savior. That is who Jesus is. And I encourage you uh, to trust in him today, if you have not, so that you too can say, when asked, who do you believe that Jesus is? You can say, he is the Christ. Now, one of the most important maybe stops on our roadmap of mapping Jesus' identity through the Gospel of Mark happens in the next chapter, because Jesus is transfigured. And in Mark 9, 7, we read these words, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Uh, this is fascinating because listening is a theme that we've talked about throughout the, the Gospel of Mark. Let him who has ears, let him hear. Uh, and now here you have the voice of God the Father, once again, similar to Jesus at his baptism. Now at Jesus in the moment of transfiguration saying, this is my, again, beloved son. Listen to him. And Men, what's fascinating about this verse is, and we, we talked about this months ago when we, we touched upon this section, is that this is actually 
the middle verse of the Gospel of Mark. The same number of verses and material precede this verse as follow it to the end of the uh, end of the gospel. So this is literally the very center midpoint of the gospel of Mark. And we read these words. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And my prayer is that as we have studied this book through its first half and now through its second half, that we have been able to listen to the words of Jesus and the inspired scriptures to know and understand more that he is indeed the son of God and he is the Christ. Well, we move towards the end of the Gospel of Mark for one of our last stops on our roadmap. Mark chapter six, uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 61. Uh, we read uh, these words as Jesus is indeed standing before the council or the Sanhedrin. Um, as they are, uh, they are accusing him, people are bringing false testimony against him. But Mark 14, 61 reads, But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Verse 62, Jesus says, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Talking about this great promise from Daniel chapter 7 where we have the Son of God who will come in glory in the future. So from the lips of the high priest asking, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? essentially asking, are you the son of God? And Jesus says, I am. So a very clear identification of Jesus. And then finally, a very interesting final stop on our roadmap. It comes to us in Mark chapter 15, verse 39, where there is a centurion at the cross who's watching Jesus die. Now he's a Gentile. He does not believe in the Jewish God. Certainly he does not believe naturally in the Jewish Messiah, but when he sees Jesus die, he has a very life-changing revelation and words that he speaks. Mark 15, 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. So we have from the very beginning, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, finally, the second to last chapter, very close to the end of Mark, we have from the lips of a Gentile centurion, surely this man was the son of God. So that is our roadmap as we look at Jesus' identity, as we think through what we have learned and what, has, um, what we have come to take away with from Jesus and his identity and the humility that he embodies um, I just want to encourage us as we think about Jesus' humility. I came across a resource that showed some incredible uh, similarities between Jesus in the Gospel of Mark and Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And so if you see in your slides, you will, you will see some of those references. And I encourage you to read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, um, and see how these connections pertain to Jesus. But just as an overview... Uh, first, we have that Jesus came as a servant, and that's connection. Uh, the author who was Warren Wearsby makes this connection between Mark chapters 1 through 13 and Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, which reads, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. There's that humility. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having the mind, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, that's the key word, emptied himself, by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. Uh, Claude Marshall, one of our fellow teachers here and one of our associate pastors, led our church at the chapel through a prayer time earlier this week of these verses for Philippians, seeking to help us understand the importance of humility and looking at the humility of Christ in order that we might relate to one another in humility, which I think is so important as we see uh, the racial injustice, as we see the division and the dissension that exists in our country right now across racial lines. We're also seeing it across political lines. Um, something as simple as wearing a mask in public has become uh, such a polarizing thing. And uh, my, my call to us, guys, is that we would embrace the humility of Jesus to be a servant like Jesus. Uh, the word emptied himself uh, is the Greek word kanao, which means to empty. You don't typically empty by taking something on. But as we'll see, that's what Jesus did. And... Um, and that's why uh, we see, as we continue on, that the connection and the parallels between Mark and Philippians 2 is that Jesus died on a cross. And we looked at that in Mark chapters 14 and 15 at the apex of Jesus' suffering. And here we see in Philippians 2.8, Paul writes, And being found in human form, he humbled himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The heightened apex of Jesus' suffering for us. Um, next, we see that God exalted Jesus to glory, and that's what we talked about in Mark chapter 16 last week, as Jesus was resurrected and then ascended to be with the Father. Now see the connection in Philippians 2, 9, as we keep reading. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So here we have uh, Jesus Christ indeed being exalted, being ascended to be with the Father, so that one day he will return in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That is a day that I look forward to. Uh, but we see both in the Gospel of Mark and then here in Philippians 2 that God exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. Next, uh, we see that Jesus' disciples carried the gospel to all nations. And that comes to us in, towards the end of Mark chapter 16 that we talked about last week. A very similar call where Jesus says, take the gospel to all the creation. Well, we read here in Philippians 2 verses 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It's a lot of places. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Looking ahead to this great proclamation of the gospel, um, I'm reminded as we think about this that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, um, but certainly the true blessing comes for those who bow to him and submit to him and surrender to him and confess that he is his Savior now. 
I'm reminded of the reality of our call to continue to spread the gospel. And John Piper, who is an author and former pastor that I have enjoyed many of his books over the years and his readings and his approach to the Christian life and theology. Um, But I remember reading one of his books entitled, Let the Nations Be Glad. And he said, missions exists because worship does not. I'll say that again. Missions exists because worship does not. So in the places where there is not worship of the true God happening, missions must and is is essential. It is necessary. And we read about how the Lord Jesus equipped his disciples to do that in the first century, and he continues to do that with us now in the 21st century. And that leads to the final connection, is that God assures us that he is at work in us and through us. We read this both in Mark, at the very tail end of Mark chapter 16, as well as Philippians 2, 12 through 13, which reads as follows. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but more, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We see, guys, the connections to even the very words at the end of the Gospel of Mark, where he says, uh, and he writes, the Lord Jesus was working with them. He was present and working in and through the lives of his disciples in the first century, and he's doing it in and through the lives of his disciples, you and me here in the, in the 21st century. He is with us. That means we can trust him, we can obey him, and we can surrender to him even when it is difficult. So this, this focus on humility is one that's been near and dear to my heart as a leader in church ministry as God has exposed my own pride, my own sin there. And I continue to be in, so amazed at the focus of humility in the Gospel of Mark. I wanted to present uh, some definitions of humility before closing and then find some applications that we pull. Um, and you'll see this in the slides as well. But an Australian scholar named John Dixon writes in his book, Humilitas, that humility is the noble choice to forego your status Deploy your resources or use your influence for the good of others before yourself. The humble person is marked by a willingness to hold power in service of others. So there we see that humility is taking what influence and power you have and employing it for the good of others instead of yourself. I think a lot of what we see going around in our country today with a lot of the the racism, a lot of the racial division, uh, and a lot of the responses to that out of, out of anger because of the injustice is because at many times people who have power and who have influence wield that power and influence for selfish gain rather than stewarding it towards the benefit and the blessing of others. And I believe that if we really saw that happen more, if hearts were transformed with the gospel and our lives exhibited that blessing and that humility more, then I think we would see great true transformation on a community level, on a statewide level, on a national level. So my prayer is that the Lord will change our hearts so that we will be people who embrace humility and live out justice and righteousness and generosity in a way that blesses others and serves others before we serve ourselves, just as Jesus did. The second definition of humility, which is is maybe a little easier to understand, comes from C.S. Lewis, where he writes that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. So humility is not humiliation. Humility is not 
I am the worst. I am terrible. Yes, we understand we are wretched sinners. That's true. But if we remain um, wallowing in that and only uh, live out a life of humiliation and think less of ourselves, then that's not the life, the victorious life that we're called to in Christ. But we are called to think of ourselves less and to serve and bless one another, not doing anything out of selfish ambition or conceit as we read in Philippians chapter two. So uh, I, do, I do remain convinced that humility is the most important virtue in the Christian life, but it is the least practiced. And that's true in my life, guys. Maybe that's true in your lives as well because of the temptations and pride that so easily creep in. So uh, just some lessons of application as we look at Christ's humility, and these will be in the slides as well. But humility like Christ's leads us to serve. It leads us to serve. So the question is, who can I serve? Who are those around me in my family or in my community that I can serve and help and bless? Secondly, humility humility like Christ leads us to suffer. As we think about Jesus suffering the ultimate injustice, the ultimate death for us, uh, we know that in the face of injustice that we can have confidence that Christ is with us when we humbly follow him. Because his humility leads us to suffer. Humility, like Christ's, leads us to pray. Because we recognize we are dependent upon him for all things. We can do nothing in and of ourselves. We have to abide in him. We have to make sure that we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling. But knowing that we do it with prayerful dependence upon him. Because he is the one that is working in and through us to will even the desire to follow him. Which leads to the next point, which is that uh, humility like Christ's leads us to obey. What is he calling you uh, to obey today that maybe you're resisting? What sin struggle do you need to uh, essentially bring into the light? Which leads to our next point, which is humility like Christ's leads us to confess. Confess sin. Uh, What might you be trying to hide from our Savior, who sees everything, by the way? And so that confession is that moment where you agree with our Heavenly Father in his holiness and in his righteousness that you have uh, erred from his ways. You have thought what you should not think. You have said what you should not say. You have done what you should not do because it's inconsistent with the holiness and the righteousness of our holy God. What is Christ's humility leading you to confess Finally, Christ's humility, humility like Christ's, leads us to be a blessing to those around us, which circles back to the first observation, which is that humility like Christ leads us to serve. So who can you be a blessing to today? In these difficult times, as we uh, look ahead, uh, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know that Jesus is coming back. And as we said a a few weeks back, we should look busy, we should be busy, we should be engaged in his kingdom work. And my prayer is that we will have eyes to see and ears to hear the voice of our Savior, our beloved Savior, the beloved Son of the Father, that we will hear him, that we will know and understand that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God, and that we as his followers are called to serve and suffer just like him. Which leads us, as we conclude, to the reminder that that is what the Gospel of Mark teaches us, to serve and suffer like our Savior.
This really has been a privilege for me, gentlemen. Thank you for granting me the opportunity, really, to share from God's Word with you throughout the weeks. And I thank you as well um, for giving the other teaching leaders the opportunity, too. Um, uh, it's just been such a privilege, but we don't want it to end in some ways. So I'll just say, uh, please stay in touch. My email is in the, uh, it's in the slides, h-r-u-c-h at wcchapel.org. I would love to be available for ongoing conversation throughout the summer. Um, and I would even love to get together with you as we see the opening up of our economy a little bit more as we enter now uh, today into phase two of the governor's plan for the opening up of our state of the Commonwealth. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you have a desire to grab some coffee or to grab lunch sometime, that is one of my favorite things to do with anyone. It's just to catch up over some food and see, which is why I love the breakfast, by the way. But, um, but I would love to grab a meal with you or some coffee with you as you feel comfortable. But you can also email me or reach out. I encourage you to stay in touch with one another as well, whether that's over some calls like Zoom or WebEx or FaceTime. Maybe you're texting, maybe you're calling on the phone, or maybe you're planning to get together in the next few weeks as we see the reopening happen in our, in our community. Uh, but, but stay connected. We need to remain connected to Christ as well as to others in the community of faith to walk the walk. So that, that's really what I have to say in closing. I will also encourage you one final time, please take the survey that's in the email. We really want to hear from you so that we might discern the Lord's direction as we move ahead into the future and think through uh, the months that are to come. Um, should we be meeting again in September, which is our desire? We certainly want to have um, your feedback on what can make those meetings more effective as you follow Christ. So thank you so much for uh, the blessings that you provide to me, and thank you for the privilege of spending time together. God bless. Talk to you soon.